and that ears and eyes will understand the truth from your word. And so I ask that you are here with us this morning, that we can see your scripture and taste it and love it and see the beauty of it so that we can go in all the days of our lives, look to find you and hear you speak in your word, the scriptures you have given us. So let your scriptures be in our hearts. Let your scriptures be what we're drawn to, to know and understand you well and better. And so I thank you for today and what you will do in spite of me and how you will teach me and those out here listening to your word preached through it. I pray these things in your son Jesus' name. Amen. Well, so I guess we have a new precedent today. We had an ensemble here of brass and woodwind instruments. So I think I'm going to start a new precedent, Justin, and I'm going to sing during the sermon. So next week, when we pick up with Revelation again, Justin will sing us a song to start us off. Okay. <laughs> so I'll just see, you can join me if you want. Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. They are weak, but he is strong. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so. Oh, y'all know that one. Well, I used to think that song was stupid. And I'm not talking about before I became a Christian. It was actually after my conversion. And I would hear that song, and I know it's a children's song, but there's something deep in it. Notice what the words say. Jesus loves me, and I know this. Why? Because the Bible tells me so. The Bible, the Bible tells me so. That's my proof of knowledge. That's where my knowledge comes from. The Bible. Isn't there... How, how do I evangelize and say, no, God, let me just read you to the Bible. Isn't there, isn't there should be a way I can prove to them that what God says is true? I'm reminded of a parable that Jesus once told in Luke chapter 16. Remember this parable? It's the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. Jesus tells the story of a man who was very wealthy. He lived all his days in great comfort and wealth. And, and the second man was a man who lived in squalor and didn't know where his next meal would come from. And both of them die. And Lazarus, the poor man, gets carried up to heaven where his father Abraham is. And the rich man goes to Hades and begins to suffer torment. And he looks up and he sees Lazarus in the bosom of Abraham. And he says, Abraham, uh, can, you, can you just dip your finger in some water and give it to me? I'm, I'm thirsty. I'm, I have this torture. Can't you do something for me? He says, no, you've made your decision. He says, okay, but I have four brothers in my household. Can't you send some money to tell them the truth? Remember what Abraham tells him? 
they already know that they already have heard the truth. And Jesus ends the verse, the, the passage, the parable like this in verse 31 of Luke 16. He says, He said to him, Abraham, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should arise from the dead. So what is Jesus teaching here? He's saying, look, someone can come back from life that they knew was dead and tell them the truth, and that they won't even believe. They had all the proof they needed in the scriptures, and they refused to believe it then. So why, why as a Christian, when I became a Christian, <laughs> I began studying something called apologetics. This is the reasonable, reason defense for our faith. And I studied philosophy. I was a philosophy minor, actually. And so as I began to study these things, now, it's not that these things are bad. I still study philosophy. I still study and do apologetics, and I think they're a worthy endeavor. But I began to look at scripture, or I began to look at reason as something maybe a bit higher than scripture. After all, how do I go to my unbelieving brother and tell him, look, you should believe God. He's saved you from your sins. And he asked, well, how, why should I believe God? Why should I believe I have sins? Well, because the Bible tells me so. How does that help? And so I began to put reason in my own human understanding above the words of God. And so my apologetics, my defense for the faith became about how can I go to someone and use nature, use reason, use human capacity to solve that problem. But notice what this does. Who becomes the authority in that situation? It's no longer God. The authority becomes me. Because now I am the judge of the truth of scripture. And now my unbeliever friend is also the judge of scripture. And so I put human capacity, human reason, human thought above beyond scripture, even though we know as Christians that before we became those children who are children of God, we hated everything that was of God. So why would a hater of God, someone who flees from God, who does not seek from God, want to listen to the truth of Scripture? In fact, so much so that if a dead man rise from the dead and told everyone, they wouldn't believe it. You know how I know that? <laughs> well, don't we follow a risen Savior who went around and told everyone he was alive? So what is our authority? Authority isn't me up here preaching. It isn't the church. It isn't Pastor Justin. It isn't the elders. Our authority is Scripture. But how do we know Scripture really is God's Word? How do we know this thing in our hands is something that is trustworthy, is truthful? I'm going to get to a passage here in a minute that I'm going to go through that will, I think, show us some of these things. And one of the issues I, I had in putting together this sermon is that there's so many things I want to teach about Scripture, but we don't have the time because you guys want to go have lunch at some point. Um, but I want to start off 
with something that's outside of Scripture to tell, teach us about the truth of Scripture, which sounds funny, but it's not authoritative. It's going to teach us the understanding that we as Christians have had um, for 2,000 years. And so uh, I'm going to read a, a, a little paragraph from something known as the Baptist Confession of Faith of 1689. And it explains how Scripture tells us itself of its own authority and trustworthiness. And it says this. This is chapter 1 of that confession in, in paragraph 5. It says, We may be moved and induced by the testimony of church of God to a high and reverent esteem of holy scriptures and the heaviness of the matter, the efficacy of the doctrine, and the majesty of the style, the consent of all the parts, the scope of the whole, which is to give all glory to God, the full discovery it makes of the only way of man's salvation and many other incomparable excellencies and entire perfections thereof are arguments whereby it does abundantly evidence, evidence, evidence itself to be the word of God. Yet notwithstanding our full persuasion and assurance of the infallible truth and divine authority thereof is from the inward look, work of the Holy Spirit, bearing witness by and with the word in our hearts. So you notice what this confession is teaching. How do we know Scripture is Scripture, is the Word of God? The confession says, because the Word of God proves itself by its own merit. I don't need to go and do scientific experiments on it. I don't need to use my own human flawed reasoning to come to an understanding that Scripture is what it is. I simply have to read Scripture and by reading it, I see the beauty, the excellencies, the majesty, the glory of the Scripture. And I know through the Holy Spirit that the Scriptures are indeed those things. Now someone might say, isn't that circular reasoning? I believe the Bible because the Bible tells me so. Well, not really. There is a sense where it seems circular. But we're talking about ultimate knowledge, ultimate things. If I want to know how to get healthy and exercise better, where do I go? Do I go to the overweight person who eats only fast food and has never walked more than five feet in his life? Or do I go to someone who I've seen has lot and cut weight and learned the understanding has become a uh, 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 gym teacher. Where would I go? I go to the one who has authority in those things. If I don't want to know the history of something, I don't ask my daughter. I go to a historian. And so if I want to know what God tells me, I don't go to someone else. I go to God himself. So who is the better authority, God or humanity? Who was there at the beginning of time? God, not scientists. And so even if you want to say, no, look, 
we can't accept Scripture as it is. I need to judge Scripture by my human reasoning. Okay? So how do you know your human reasoning is valid? How do you know your human reasoning is correct and good? You run into the same problem. If you make yourself the highest authority, how did that authority get there? By whose authority are you authoritative? The only thing that makes sense is that the supreme being of all the universe who created all things is the authority, and only he can speak of himself and teach of himself. John Calvin said, God alone is a fit witness of himself and his word. He then says, Scripture is indeed self-authenticated. Francis Turretin said, The Scripture, which is the first principle in the supernatural order, is known by itself and has no need of arguments derived from without to prove and make itself known to us. Herman Vavik, on the, uh, speaking about the church fathers, he writes this, In the church fathers, the scholastics, Scripture's rested in itself was trustworthy and in and of itself and the primary norm for church and theology. In Hebrews 6.13, the writer of Hebrews tells us this, for when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself. Think about that. What's the biggest thing I can swear to you? We, do this, we did this as kids, right? Someone told us I was lying. You say, no, 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 I swear to God. Right, because who, who else can be the higher authority? Who else can we appeal to that's higher than God? And so even God, when he came to swear himself to Abraham, he couldn't swear himself to anything else because anything else would be lesser than him. And so he swore by himself. Now, this doesn't mean that we can't use or study or be encouraged by external evidence to the scriptures. But that shouldn't be the reliance. That shouldn't be the only thing that we rely on. And in fact, in our passage today that we're finally getting to, we're going to see four ways in which scripture teaches us about its authority and authenticity. And the first one is going to be and external evidence that the scripture will teach us about. So let's go ahead and turn there now. If you have your Bibles, go to 2 Peter chapter 1. So this is our text today that we're going to read out of. And in a way, it's a way to kind of limit myself so again, we don't break until potluck time. And so we're going to see what Peter in this passage shows us what the scriptures should be for us as Christians. So starting in verse 16 of chapter 1, we read this. Peter says, For we do not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when we received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven. 
for we were with him on the holy mountain. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So let's look at four things where Scripture is going to prove itself. And it's going to prove itself first by claiming that these are eyewitness accounts of God. So Scripture is the eyewitness word of God. Notice verse 16. Peter says, For we do not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. The Bible isn't a pack of lies. It's not a fairy tale. It's not a myth. (laughs) They're faithful, accurate recountings of the very things that people saw. Peter was there with Jesus. He saw the things happen. And as we'll see... He saw even the transfiguration miracle happen. And so these are the accounts we receive. Those who were there, people who received this letter from Peter could go ask him, could go to him in person, could go to the people that were around and saw the things that he saw and asked, is Peter giving us an accurate account of these things? They were eyewitnesses, and no one has ever brought charge otherwise. So the Bible is historical and factual, but it's with the eyes of faith, I pray that God will let us see this truth. And Peter says that they were eyewitnesses, but what exactly, specifically here, is he talking about he's an eyewitness of? As I mentioned earlier, he's actually an eyewitness of the transfiguration. In verse 17, notice it says, for he, when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. <laughs> we ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. So you remember the story of the transfiguration? Jesus brought three of his disciples up there, and, and uh, Elijah and Moses appear and start conversing with Jesus, and Jesus is transformed, transfigured, and something, and disciples don't know what to do. They see this amazing thing happen, and a voice from heaven <laughs> calls down and says, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. And this actually is going to lead us to our second proof, and that is the sure word of God. Notice the first part of verse 19, and we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed. It's interesting that Peter says this in verse 19 because he just talked about the Mount of Transfiguration. I remember, particularly younger in my Christian walk, I might lie in bed or daydream about, you know, if only God would just prove himself to me, show himself to me in a real way. You know, can he, 
Can he, uh, you know, I have friends that are not Christian. Can't God just show them, appear, and tell them the truth? Why don't they see? Can't God, you give us more evidence? But notice what Peter says here. He says, I was there at the Mount of Transfiguration. How many of us wish we could have seen something like that? How many of us wish we could have seen all the miracles that are done in the Bible? But notice what Peter says. After the amazing experience of the transfiguration on the mountain, Peter then says, look, there's that. I was eyewitness to that. But guess what? We have the prophetic word more fully confirmed. What does he mean by prophetic word? He's not merely talking about prophecy, right? The the prediction and fulfillment of things. He's talking about the scriptures as a whole. And it's most likely at least the Old Testament, but I think also part of the New Testament is in, in view here because notice what he quotes in verse 17. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased, word for word like the Gospels. So notice what Peter's saying here. You don't need a Mount Transfiguration experience. Why? Because you have something that is even more confirmed than that, and that is the scriptures you have in your hand. So in other words, the word of God is better than seeing and hearing these things. If you were to think about before your conversion, <coughs> if someone was to invent a time machine and take you back to the crucifixion, <laughs> to the transfiguration, would that have made you believe? I don't think so. Instead, what, what caused you to believe? <laughs> God might have used different events in your life, but it wouldn't have happened without someone telling you what God's word says. Without someone coming to you and saying, no, you are in sin, yes, but Jesus loves you, and this I know because the Bible tells me so, and he has freed you from your sins. And so reading the word of God is better than seeing with our eyes because our eyes can deceive, our reason can fail. <laughs> if you don't believe me, just start talking about politics with your neighbor next to you and see if you come to the same conclusion. How else does God's word prove itself in this passage? Number three, the Bible proves itself by being the shining word of God. Look at the second half of verse 19. He says, and we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention to as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Now, I know he's talking about scripture here in the prophetic word and the shining lamp because notice what he continues to say later in the verse. He says that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. He is directly talking about scripture. And he says that scripture is confirmed even more so than the transfiguration event. But it also is a light that shines in the darkness. Scripture proves to be the word of God by its own light and its own power. 
Psalm 36, 9 says, In your light do we see light. Has anyone ever tried to prove that light exists? It proves itself. Just look. Light is its own source, its own proof that it is. As light and power need no external verification, the Bible needs no external proof of its divinity. John Owen once said, Whatever it be that hath an innate power in itself that will effectually operate on a fit and proper subject, it is able to evidence itself in its own nature and condition. So the Bible is a light, something that is its own source, its own lamp of truth and trustworthiness. It was eyewitness to count and is more confirmed to us than if we were to see Jesus walk through these aisles now. But the fourth thing we'll talk about today is that the scripture proves itself by being the God-given word of God. Let's pick up in verse 20. Peter continues, Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Notice today that many of the attacks on Christianity is the scripture itself. Because if we can diminish the truth, authority of the scripture, even if we can take just a little bit and bring doubt upon God's word fully being the word of God, even if it's just maybe, maybe partially the word of God, then we've lost a great deal. Everything is pulled out from other, under us because no longer can we have assurance and be sure that Christ is who he says he is, that we believe not in vain. <clears throat> this passage in 2 Peter is one of the big two main passages that the doctrine of scripture um, is derived out of. And the second one, is 2 Timothy 3.16. Perhaps many of you have this memorized. It says, All scripture is breathed out by God. Breathed out by God. The word here in Greek is a single word for breathed out by God. It's theonoustos. It just simply means God breathed. So notice what both Peter and Paul and 2 Timothy are, te- are telling us here that the scripture isn't a man-made thing. Yes, humans wrote the words down on pages and they used their own desires and wills and understandings and language and personalities to do so, but they still are the very words of God. God breathed out all scripture This is why it's called the word of God, because this is the voice. These are the things that God himself tells us. It is God speaking to us. This this is the idea of breathing out, that God is speaking. It should harken back to uh, Genesis chapter 1, where God said and things happened. Has anyone ever tried speaking without breathing out? This is what God is doing here. The words that we have in our Bible are the very words of God. 
that he himself breathed out. And so where do I find God? Not in some weird meditation, not in some happenstance, although those things can occur, but where I can be sure and positive that I will encounter God is with the words that he has given us. In Peter's discussion of the Spirit producing Scripture, he tells us, For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. This idea of carrying along in Greek gives us the idea of, of, of a, a ship being pushed by the wind that is sailing. You have the ship, the wind comes, the breath... So the thing about, I, I told you about theonoustos earlier, God breathed, the word noustos, at the same time meaning breath, it also means spirit, and it also means wind. So all these things should come to mind, that God is breathing out, causing the wind, the spirit, to push the sails, to cause the boat to go in the direction that the wind wills. So what is Peter teaching us? What is Paul teaching us in 2 Timothy? That scripture is not the thinking of man. It is the very, very words of God. And it is God's superintending of these writings of Scripture that makes Scripture come out, that gives it the Word of God. And so this doesn't mean a, a kind of a dictation theory, like Paul went into a trance or Peter went into a trance and just wrote down, oh, look, I made Scripture. Instead, God is over these things. He's sovereign over these things so that he built Paul, he built Peter and gave them their experiences so they knew and understand the things that they did. So that they went to write, they were filled with the Spirit, and the Spirit guided every word and action that caused them to write the very words of God. And it's something that has, since that has happened, become more sure to us than if we were to see a transfiguration before us right now. Because our eyes can be deceived. Our mind can be deceived, but God does not deceive. So because it is the word of God, the Bible is wholly true and trustworthy, neither deceived nor deceiving. So what does this mean for us? So I had, it was easy for me to spin out a million different practical things that this means to us. Like, wh what are the practicality of this? Well, how does this impact us? What are the truths that impact? What, how do these truths impact us on a daily basis? Well, instead of giving you 100 of them, we're going to go with four. Four that I think will be pertinent to us. And the first one is this. With this understanding of what Scripture is and that it comes directly from God, we should recognize that scriptures cannot be judged by us. Scripture is our authority. We are not scripture's authority. <clears throat> you can have 30 PhDs come tell you that scripture isn't really the word of God. That should not convince you. What should convince you is reading your Bible and seeing the truth that's in there. Second way this truth should impact us 
is that scripture is the best way to hear from God. Again, our experiences deceive us, don't they? Maybe we heard a still small voice, maybe we didn't. Maybe God was directing us to go down this path and maybe he didn't. I know in my life, I believe God was telling me to go in one direction and I tried and that that was wrong. <laughs> but how do I know what, can I, what is the one thing that I can go with without having to worry about, discern, and, and not be sure if it's truth or not? Scriptures, because it is from God, and so there is where I hear God. If we are not in the scriptures on a daily basis, then how is God speaking to you? If God is your Lord, if you've made him your Lord and Savior, how does he exercise his authority over you? We can only get that from his word. <clears throat> Number three, <laughs> the scripture is the best way to gain insurance. If you struggle with assurance of salvation, if you struggle with assurance that God is really there trying to tell us something, read the scriptures. <laughs> doesn't mean you sit down tonight <laughs> and you read a passage, and that's going to be a light that pops on, and you're suddenly going to be assured for the rest of your life. But it's a thing that we go into, and as we, the more we dive into the scriptures, the more we begin to see its beauty, its excellencies, its majesty. We begin to see the truth that we cannot close our eyes to, and it will transform us. And so assurance comes from that, which leads us to number four. The scripture must be read in and by the Holy Spirit. So we can't go to God's word with our own thinking, our own understanding of things. We must be taught by the Spirit himself. So I'm sure many of you were thinking, well, you know, I have this atheist friend that has read the whole Bible and probably has read more than me, and they still don't believe. Okay, that can happen. Because that's our standard nature is to flee and not want to have that be the truth in our lives. We turn from that. And so only the Holy Spirit itself will teach us these things. And so when we read our scripture, we don't go to it neutral. We go to it with a prayer that the Spirit will be with us and the Spirit will teach and illuminate us to these things. <laughs> scripture will only manifest itself as the most beautiful and excellent when the Spirit works within us. I have one more quote for us that's going to be long, so I'm going to put it on the screen that will close us out. And it's another quote from Herman Bavinck, a quote I read earlier. And it's going to kind of sum this up for us. So Herman Bavinck says this, Scripture brings with it its own authority. It is self-based and self-attested as trustworthy. Just as light is distinguished from darkness, white from black, sweet from bitter, so scripture is recognized by its own truth. But scripture acquires certainty as God's own word with us by the testimony of the Spirit. Though proofs and reasonings are of great value, this testimony surpasses them by far. 
it is more excellent than all reason. Just as God can only witness concerning himself in his word, so his word does not find belief in the hearts of human beings before it is sealed by the internal testimony of the Holy Spirit. The same spirit who spoke through the mouths of the prophets must work in our hearts to persuade us that they faithfully proclaim what has been commanded by God. The Holy Spirit, accordingly, is the seal and guarantee for confirming the faith of the godly. If we have that testimony within us, we do not rest in any human judgment, but observe without any doubt as if we were gazing upon God himself in it, that scripture came from the mouth of God, the ministry of human beings. We subject our judgment to it as a thing far beyond any guesswork. Now, I realize that this sermon is by and large for the Christian, which is a good thing. Because those of us, those of you who might be listening that don't believe these things, me saying, well, you should believe it because the Bible says so, isn't going to persuade you. But I do want to challenge you, if that's you, open, your, open the Bible. <laughs> Grab one and, and see and witness the excellencies he's there. Because you know yourself that your human mind and thinking can be flawed and you can see things that aren't really there and you don't want to believe things that you don't want to believe. But for us Christians, my hope today is that whatever you got from this today is that you can now have a confidence and know that the Bible is its own proof. You don't have to do anything for it. Let the lion out. Let it be free. So that, like today, I can now sing that song, seeing a greater, more profound truth in it. And I'm happy to have teach my kids that song. And so all of us can sing things like, Jesus loves me, this I know for the Bible tells me so. Let's pray. Father, make that true in our hearts. Don't allow us to give lip service to the authority of your Bible, but allow the Bible to actually be authoritative. To be the place we go to when we don't know what to do, when we don't know what to think, to let it affect all of our lives, not just on Sunday mornings, but in all that we do. Have it be the thing that teaches us how we should think, how we should work, how we should be students, how we should parent, how we should do all of our lives, because the one who knows the truth is you and you alone, and no one has a higher authority than you. And so you teach us who you are and you reveal yourself to us only by your word. So allow us to see that. Allow us to desire your scriptures. This is not to worship the Bible, but to recognize that the Bible speaks the truths and commands and desires of our holy God who rescued us from sin and death. So I thank you for today. Teach us as we go out and speak, O oh Lord, as we come to your word. I pray these things in your son Jesus' name. Amen.